scriptures say the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And uh, that's just my heart in the days ahead is that we have more of an inhabitation of the Lord here, more of the presence of the Lord being sensed, an encounter with God. That's what we need. We don't need to just be singing about the Lord or hearing about the Lord, but in singing, in hearing, we actually encounter Jesus because Jesus is here. You say, oh, I don't feel his presence. Well, we've got to believe he's here because where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. So let's just take a moment and thank him for being here. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us right now. Your presence is with us. And we just look to you for um, a touch from your Holy Spirit that you would just reveal yourself in greater measure when we gather together and then as we go forth. But we thank you now for your word. We pray you draw us to yourself. We pray that you'd help us to forget some of the baggage of the week and some of the things that would uh, hinder our concentration. Just to ask for your spirit to move through your truth now as we um, look to grow in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to look at a passage where we're going to kind of bounce off of Acts 13.22. In Acts 13.22, it speaks of David. It says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And the concentration here today is on a man after my own heart or a woman after my own heart, a person after my own heart. What does the Lord want for us? How can we bless him in a relationship? He wants us going after his own heart. And what does that mean anyway, to be someone after his own heart? Because if you're familiar with the story of David, you know that he wasn't the most perfect person, was he? I mean, he has one of the most notable sins in the Bible, probably second to Adam, maybe. I don't know. But uh, he sinned with Bathsheba. He mur murdered her husband. Uh, he was called a man of blood for all the violence he inflicted on peoples. And, and uh, he had a strange episode in which he uh, performed a census, which was uh, called an act of pride, which was very um, wrong in that time and in that situation. So he has a lot of baggage on him, but when I consider most of the, the examples in Scripture, almost every single example in Scripture, the hero of faith is flawed and has things, skeletons in their closet. I mean, there's three that I can think of that maybe there's nothing much we know that's bad. There's Daniel. There's Samuel, there's Joseph. There's not much that was spoken of uh, any skeletons, but we know that they were flawed as well. It's just they kind of rose above the rest. But it's David that the Lord was working through, brought his seed through. David was an extremely flawed person. And you can be a flawed person because God has revealed in the scriptures that even a flawed person can be a person after God's own heart. It means you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to be perfect. And that's where the gospel comes in. Jesus came as our perfection. He was perfect on our behalf. But even before the gospel and the cross of Christ, the resurrection in which we get into this covenant, in which we're accepted in the beloved, 
Everything's great by grace, but even beforehand, David's called a man after God's own heart, and he had some terrible flaws. So God has revealed his heart for flawed people. And if he didn't have a heart for flawed people, you and me wouldn't be here. And Christ died for us while we were sinners. Isn't that a happy truth? None of us were in a place that we deserved what he did for us. And he died for us while we were sinners. But what happens is we put our faith in Jesus, and now, now we start feeling all the pressure. We've got to do better, do better. And I'm going to talk about that today because we want to do better. We ought to want to do better because of the love of Jesus affecting our hearts. But the mistake that we often make is we have to do better to please God. We have to do better before we can expect any blessings from him. We have to do better in order for him to be smiling on us. And that's not the case. All he's looking for is not our behavior, our actions. Those are important. But he's looking at our heart and our relationship with him. Do we love God? Are we someone who is after God's heart? Because God loves us, flaws and all. And uh, if, if it was up to us to be perfect, we'd all be sunk. But many people in the church... I hate to say, are not really after God's own heart. They're after God's own blessings. They're after God's own fire insurance. They're after God's own help. And, and you know, God wants to bless us. God wants to take us to heaven, save us from hell. God wants to help us in our situations. But we can often fall into a bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, and sort of treat God like he's a magic genie, and where are you? You need to be helping me in this, and what happened? He's not here. What's going on? And it's all, we're looking for what he can do and how he can bless us. It's not wrong to look for his blessings, but if that's all it is, you're off the mark because it's not the blessings, it's the blesser. We need to be after God's own heart. Children... You know, parents love their children. They'll do things for their children. And as the children grow up, then they start to appreciate all the good that the parent has been doing, sacrificing, giving to the child. And as the child matures and grows up, they will respect and appreciate the love that has been shown to them. And so it ought to affect their heart. If they are maturing, if they are in the proper place, they will want to show honor, respect, appreciation, and love for, for their parents. Um, maybe you didn't have good parents, but you understand what I'm saying is that when somebody is taking care of you, blessing you, and God does that all the time, it, it should affect our hearts to where we want to be a blessing back to them. When I was just out of town last weekend, my hosts were very gracious to me, and I wanted to bless them back. I wanted to do good. It's not like I got to pay them back. I got to pay them back. But many in the church sometimes feel like I got to pay back God. I got to pay back God. I got to do better. And that's not what he's looking for. He's just looking for you to appreciate, respect, and he wants to see you going after him on a love level after his own heart, right? So what is, we talk about after your own heart still, what does that phrase mean? Well, uh, before I was married and I met Jennifer, we were at a ministry school, and um, I, there was something special about her when I first saw her, but uh, I didn't know if she would talk to me or anything, but I, I came home one day and she saw me in front of the dorm and said, I heard you're funny. <laughs> and uh, I said, just wait a second. 
And I went upstairs into my room, got changed, and I put on a T-shirt that said spam. I had a spam T-shirt. It was Some of you don't know what spam is. It's not just email. It was a luncheon meet, processed luncheon meet. For some reason, I thought I could win her heart by wearing a T-shirt that said spam. <laughs> but look, it worked. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we just celebrated our uh, 20th, 28th anniversary this weekend. So, thank you. And uh, I don't even eat spam anymore. I don't. Uh, but uh, you know, if you need, if you're in a pinch, it's a good lunch to me. But I thought I could win, win her heart with that. But what is it? We when we want to win someone's heart means we want to impress them. We want to please them. We want to preach show that we're interested in them. And that's. And it also means more than that. It means that uh, they're very much you know like-minded. Sometimes you know. You, Let's say you're a chocolate lover, and you meet some people for uh, dinner and a dessert, and they order a dessert, and they say, what would you like? And they say, well, I'd like a, a death by chocolate with double chocolate syrup and extra chocolate chips and put some more chocolate on top of that. And you're a chocolate lover. You say, oh, they're, they're a man or woman after my own heart. <laughs> I love that. And then there, maybe you're working and somebody says something in a meeting that you wish you had said and they said it boldly and they said just what needed to be said and you're thinking, oh, a person after my own heart. Because you're on the same page, right? So that's what it means with the Lord. We want to please and win his heart and we want to be on the same page with him. So are we on the same page with God? You know, I believe that when you are generous and you're not thinking of yourself and you do something generous the lord's saying of you ah someone after my own heart or when you resist a temptation that you know that's pretty good but you're doing it because you love the lord he said someone after my own heart or when you encourage another in the lord when you're when you're trying to come up with a scripture that's going to be an encouragement and you're you're uh, a comfort and aid a help which is what we all need to be in the body of christ when we're meeting together and worshiping together, he looks and says, oh, someone after my own heart. So you can do all these things and still be a flawed person. And our goal is not to be flawed, of course. I'm not saying make excuses for being flawed, but I'm saying the way to be after the Lord's heart is, well, we're going to see from David today. So let's look at where we got this um, phrase from Acts was from um, Psalm 89:20 and 1 Samuel 13:14. I'm not going to read uh, read uh, Psalm 89:20, but we'll look at 1 Samuel 13:14. In Psalm 89:20 says, "I have found my servant David. With my holy oil I have anointed him." So this scripture in Acts is just taking that I have found my servant, and then in 1 Samuel 13:14. It, it gets into where it says he's after his own heart. But let's go to verse 13. And the context for this verse, there would have been a lot of scripture to read, so I'm just going to tell you that Saul was in a place, in a place called Gilgal. He was instructed by Samuel to wait for him seven days, and Samuel, Samuel would come and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. It was part of his establishment as, uh, as he was anointed as king. And... Uh, the Philistines were a threat at this time. They were in a terrible situation, and people had deserted Saul, 
and uh, his own people uh, deserted him, and people who were with him were trembling and afraid and everything. And it got to be where seven days passed, and he hadn't seen Samuel yet. And so he decided he was going to take matters into his own hand and offer the sacrifice. And just as he's doing that, or after the, he's doing that, Samuel shows up and says, What have you done? And then in 1 Samuel 13, he says to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. And in 1 Samuel 13, 14, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now this was actually, this was actually three years into Saul's reign. So Saul was king for three years, and he, he did this, and he did something else that we're going to look at next. And in three years, he was rejected. The interesting thing about this is that his reign actually, actually lasted 40 years. 40 years. But he was rejected the third year. The kingdom was taken from him the third year. And then David, when he was anointed, he was anointed more than one time. And it was probably 30 years that he had to wait since he was anointed to the time he actually started to reign. If it wasn't 30, it was a long period of time close to that. So there's a, there's a gospel uh, illustration there for us right in these historic facts that the Lord has placed people and given a kingdom, and we're not yet seeing it manifest in our reality. It is a reality spiritually. It is a reality in the Lord's sight, just as it was a reality that the kingdom of Saul had been stopped he had been rejected, and yet he still played out for a little bit. But it wasn't going to be Saul that we read the Psalms of. It wasn't going to be Saul that the line of uh, Jesus would come through. It wasn't going to be Saul that had a kingdom that was going to be forever and ever. It was David. And so right now, there is a ruler in this world. It's, it's a little r ruler. It's the god of this world, a little g god of this world, which is the devil. And the devil... His reign has been stopped. Jesus stopped it at the cross. We can argue he stopped it at the very beginning when the Lord gave the good news to Eve that he would crush the serpent's head. You know, it was already in place. It was already determined. But the reign of Satan will come to an end. It has already been ended in the sight of God, and it should be in our sight if we look at this as an end to his reign, even though we've got to play some time out we can also look at the fact that he has anointed each and every one of us as believers to rule and reign with Christ. And how much more those who have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through one, Jesus Christ, Romans 5.17, that we are in a position where if we would look at the truth spiritually, we'd say, yeah, it's dark out there, it's messy out there, and we're flawed people, but yet the devil is defeated, the devil is going, coming to an end, and we are anointed, and we're coming into our inheritance. And this is good news to get us through. But we, we don't think like this often. We just think, oh, well, it's so terrible and I'm such a mess. And, uh, and we go along the, those kind of thought patterns. But that's what it is, folks. We are in a place where we have to see things spiritually. And even at this time, you know, there were things being played out where Saul was rejected, but yet he was still around for a little while. 
And it says, you have not kept my commandments. So who has kept the commandment of the Lord? And I already spoke about how Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Who has kept the commandment? None of us have. And, you know, David didn't keep the commandments of the Lord in some situations, too. So what was the difference between Saul and David? Why would David be called a man after God's own heart? He sinned selfishly, like I said. He was... He was, had the episode with uh, Bathsheba and many other things. But here's where the difference comes in. When, when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan of his sin, he repented. And when he was confronted with the census, the sin of the census, his own heart condemned him, and he repented. And he seemed to be more concerned with God's glory when he realized what was wrong. When Saul realized what was wrong, it wasn't the same. He was more concerned about what this meant to him. So let's look at something in 1 Samuel 15, verse 24. And again, this is the other episode with Saul where he did a very wrong move. He disobeyed the commandment of God. God said, take the Amalekites out, spare nothing, no no." No person, no livestock, nothing. Take them out. And so Saul took them out to a degree, but he decided he was going to keep the choice livestock. He was going to, he spared the king, which he wasn't supposed to do. I, and, uh, and Samuel came to him and confronted him. And in verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, uh, well, first going back, Samuel confronted him, said, what have you done again? He said, to obey is better than the sacrifice. We're going to look at that after this. And then Saul's response was this. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice, and your words, because I feared... Um, now, I'm stumbling over myself. Lord, give me some grace. Help me to get these words out clearly in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. See, the devil don't want me talking right. The first thing I'd say here is that he feared the people. So there's a lesson we can learn right there. Sometimes people give in to things. They break the commands of the Lord because they are man-pleasers, and they fear the people. And I want to tell you that there is uh, something to fearing people that you need to get over sometimes, and we need to trust that if we take heat from people, God's going to bring the cooling fan. He's going to bring in his own vindication. He's going to bring in blessings. And so it's a hard thing sometimes to do the right thing because others may peg you or tempt you or, or, or do you wrong in some way. I know Chinese people who have uh, lost their jobs because they are... They, they've confessed the Lord or they lose privileges and things like that in different countries. It can make all the difference. And yet the Lord will come in on our defense. The Lord will take care of us if we obey his voice and do what he said. But Saul feared the voice of the people. And then he said to Samuel, now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. 
And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then Saul said, I have sinned, and honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Saul confessed. Saul confessed, I have sinned. And how many people... We've also confessed, yeah, I, I know I'm not perfect. I know, yeah, every, but everybody else is not perfect. He confessed, I have sinned, but he seems to be more concerned with his appearance before the people, and, and maybe he can even be helped if Samuel comes alongside him to worship. Maybe that'll do something for the Lord. He just doesn't seem to be concerned about what he's done directly as a breaking the command of God. As we sang and talked about, the Lord has created us. We are his creatures. We belong to him. And his presence is what is worthy. And, and, and yet we just turn our own ways. We don't want to do his way. We think, oh, we, yeah, nobody's perfect. We've sinned. Help me. At least honor me before the people, Saul said. And there might have been some sincerity in some of that. But why don't you compare what David responded with in Psalm 51, verse 4. And this was after the sin of Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah. And Nathan confronted him. He wrote this psalm. And just compare his, his response to what Saul said. David said, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Right there, he's acknowledging that God is merciful. He's looking to him in faith. And he's acknowledging that he's wrong. But this is the hope of that one verse there, that no matter how much we've screwed up, no matter how big we've screwed up, we can appeal to his loving kindness. We're looking to God. And it's not like I'm trying to get myself back into good graces. It's saying I'm throwing myself into your mercy because that's my only hope. No matter how often you've messed up, fallen, how big you have, God's mercy is there and he will blot out your transgressions. And David says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is where a lot of people stop. Yes, Lord, your merciful and loving kindness, accept me in spite of my sins. Thank you for your mercy. But then do they want to be free from sin? Do you want to be free from sin? Do you want to be washed thoroughly? Is sin your greatest enemy in your life? If not, you need your eyes open. It ought to be. Sin is the greatest enemy to us. Satan is an enemy, but sin is what gives Satan inroads into your life. And sin opens the door for all kinds of wrong things that you don't want. And so David understood this. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He was sorry for his iniquity. Wash me thoroughly for it. Cleanse me from it. You didn't see this with Saul. Saul says, I know I sinned, but, you know, hey, we're... It's almost like he's saying nobody's perfect and you can expect it some more. David's saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I'm sorry for this. Wash me from this. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And that's a powerful verse right there against you only 
again, Saul was sorry for his sin, but he's still thinking about, you got to come with me. We got to go. I got to appear before the people. David sinned against people, but he saw it all as against you only because those were God's people. We are all created in the image of God. When you've wronged somebody, you've wronged God. God is, is, is he's disappointed. I'm thinking of the, the loving father who says, why did you do that? Why, why are you breaking my heart? Any of you have kids that have broken your heart, have gone the wrong way. Anybody you've loved has gone the wrong way. Why are you breaking my heart like that? And David realizes that, and he says, I'm sorry I did that. I have sinned against you. And I believe that's part of the key, our response to God. And that's what God makes God say, that's a person after my own heart. He wants to correct the heart he's broken. Because I believe we break God's heart lots of the times. He wants better for us, and he wants us to treat his people better. And David recognized that. And then he says that you may be found blameless when you judge. He's all concerned for the Lord's glory. It wasn't for himself. Again, you don't see that with Saul. And a lot of Christians in the church, it might just be, I, I just want to get rid of the guilt feeling. I just want to be okay so that I'm still going to heaven. Well, Jesus settled that. Now it should be a question of not, what about me? What about the Lord? You may be found just when you speak. This is God's way. His way is just. I have shown the wrong way. I want God to be found just over my life. I want him to be found blameless over my life. Lord, make me a person after your own heart where your glory is greater than my immediate concerns. Man, this is kind of radical stuff because you don't hear this often. This, this isn't the bless me message and here's what God can do for you. We're talking today about what you can do for the Lord. But I'm telling you, when you do for the Lord, it still comes back and bless it. You become stronger. You become more in sync with him and you enjoy that relationship with him because now you're speaking his love language. And it's all about a relationship with God. Do you want a relationship with God where you're seeing him work more in your life, when you're having a testimony of his goodness in your life, when you can't help but when we come to church say, I got something to share, that comes through a relationship. But it doesn't just come through these Saul-like things where we say, yeah, I'm a sinner, yeah, this, yeah, I, I give God this, this. We've got to have a heart to where we say it's God and nothing else. And sadly, that's not the way it is for most people in the church. And sadly, it's a hard thing to do. So how do you get to that? Well, that's where we're going with this. How do we get to this place where we can give our hearts to the Lord? The first thing I told you is you've got to confess and re respond properly. It's all about the Lord. We're responding to him. It's not just to get me out of trouble. So respond to the Lord. That's, that's what we learned from David there. Then we learned from David that you do God's will. Because he said, I found David, a man after my own heart, one who will do all my will. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, uh, Samuel said to Saul, this is what he was said to Saul just before uh, we looked at that response. He said, has the Lord... So great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. We do have a sacrifice that has covered us. But the Lord loves the obedience, doing God's will. And you see that David, in different areas, when he was concerning the kingdom, he did God's will. David would go into these attacks and he would kill people 
as he took on the enemies of the people of Israel. But when it came to the point when he could have killed Saul, Saul was persecuting him, chasing him all over the place, and finally Saul uh, laid down, went to sleep in a cave, and, and David and his men had tricked him, gotten to a place where he could have easily gone up to him. So David took his spear away from him, and the men were saying, why don't you just kill him and put an end to this madness now? He'd been chasing him and persecuting him. Put an end to this madness now. Just kill him. And David would not do that. Why? You know, it's crazy. He would do all, all these other things, but he would not do that when it would serve his self-interest quite well, wouldn't it? Well, he had faith in the anointing and the calling that God had put on his life, and he had respect unto the protocols of the kingdom. He knew it was wrong to touch God's anointed even though Saul was a wreck and flawed and messed up, he was still under God's anointing as the king, and he was going to let God take care of it. And that was a magnificent act of obedience. That's a man after God's own heart. Jesus, when he had talked to the woman at the well, and the disciples came and said, here, eat something. He said, I have food that you know nothing about. And they couldn't understand it. He said, my food is to do the will of God of the Father and to finish his work, the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And Jesus went obedient unto death. Wasn't worried about saving himself, but he went because there was food in it. And now you want to be fed. The Lord says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Put obedience into action. What does God's command say? What did Jesus want us to do? How do we respond in this situation? Do we give in to the flesh and what's self-serving and our self-interest? Or do we take a chance on the Lord by faith saying his will be done? We'll start to get that food, that manna from heaven. Not better than manna from heaven. It's the bread of life, Jesus himself. He talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, but it comes through obedience, and, and, and that's doing God's will. And you get food when you do God's will. See, this is something you only hear in church. You won't hear it out there. People disobey God all the time, and yet they're left hungry and starving, and so they pursue the wrong relationships. They pursue materialism to fill the void. They pursue drugs and alcohol and sex and everything like that because they're hungry, hungry, hungry. There's a world that's hungry out there, and they're being taught by the media and by everything else of the world and the devil to stay away from church. That's old, that's all past, and that's get with the times, man. They're, they're, they're shooting themselves in their own feet because to do God's will is where the food comes in, where that's going to satisfy the hunger. And we're duped. If we fall for it and we give in to these temptations and follow the ways of the world, we're following the dupings of the enemy. And he's taking them like lemmings off the cliff, the rats that ran off the cliff, the pigs that Jesus cast into the ocean, the demons he cast in the ocean ran the pigs off the cliff. We just go with the rest of the swine. That's not a nice thing. I don't want to call people swine. But I'm just saying we need to get a vision for we are in a better place. We have better food. We have a soul-satisfying God that wants to see us in the highest realms, walking with him in victory. And it comes through that proper response and obedience, doing his will. That obedience gives you the food that you need. And faith, that's the next thing. Response, obedience, faith. Look at how David responded when Goliath was taunting the armies of Israel. In 1 Samuel 17, 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion 
and of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He will. He will. He was speaking this to Saul. I'm going to go get this Philistine. He will deliver me. Faith says God will. You know, most people say God can. God can deliver me. God can get help me. I don't know if he's going to. Faith says God will. Well, how do you know what God will do? It's all the word. The word is his will. If he has promised, if, if he has made a statement that he will never leave you for, or nor forsake you, he will be with you. If he's going, said he shall supply all my needs, he will supply all my needs. But that's the test of faith. We have to stand on it, even when it looks like it's not going to happen. But standing on it is an act of faith. He will. God will. And a lot of us sometimes say, God will, but we don't really believe it. We're just saying it because we know that's the right way. That's how faith talks. Sometimes we have to build our faith up to the place where we really understand because we're in, in the word and prayer, and he has given us an assurance that he will. So he spoke it to Saul. He also spoke it to his enemy in 1 Samuel 17, 46. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So again, why is he saying he will, you will, you will? Because he wants all the earth to know there's a God. It's not for me, for me, for me. Just like in that Psalm 51, he said, so that you may be seen as just he also says so that everyone will know that there's a god in israel and even when he ran to the battle to fight goliath he said who is this uncircumcised philistine that defies the armies of the living god it's all about his concern for god it's all about his concern for his glory he is esteeming god more important than any threat any insecurity any temptation out there anything concerning him i want everyone to know it's about the Lord and because it's about the Lord he will give you into my hands he spoke it to Saul the people of God and he spoke it to the enemies of God and that's how we need to do we need to speak faith we need to speak the word says this I'm standing on it God will and when the enemy comes the devil says oh no he won't and then oh how can you say that you just say who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine, to defy the armies of the living God, of which I have been recruited into by the blood of Jesus and made not only a, a recruit, but a general, a saint, even a king and priest in his heavenly position in the kingdom. I'm, I'm getting tongue-tied now again. The devil hates that kind of talk, and it's and i got to have faith when I say that too. I get myself encouraged because I can speak it, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon it. There's something to speaking these things that God spoke, and it was. We confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts. What are we speaking? We need to speak more so that we can get encouraged more. We need to speak to each other, but you also speak to yourself. What do you speak? You speak the will of God, the word of God. You speak in faith. So he responded well. He obeys. It's all about the Lord, and it's about faith, trusting in him, and it's about esteeming him greater. We saw that he wants to, wants to put God above everything else. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a missing thing in our society, too. And even in the church, a lot of people will just 
do their ticket for church, and then they don't think of God until the next Sunday. You know, we need to be esteeming him every, every day. And, you know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You know, it's, it's you're esteeming God on a daily basis. But I know one guy, a pastor I worked with, he said, you know, in the past, people esteemed God more than they do now with church. They, they said, they're always at church, and, and uh, you know, nowadays there's a sports thing, and they're gone, and there's this, they're gone, and I just don't have time for church. He said, in the old days, old days, it was like everything took a bit, oh, I'm sorry, I can't go to that. I'll be at church on Sunday. You know, and I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. I'm just saying the times have changed. There's not as much esteem there. I have a friend in Missouri. I, you ask him when he goes to church, where he goes to church, he says, what day of the week? That's all he wants. He just wants to be, he wants to go to whatever's happening and all this. He's esteeming those things as his food and his, his higher thing. And, and again, it's not just going to church, but it's just esteeming God in every act of life, wherever you are, whatever you are, your daily walk. One of the things that's very difficult in China is that it was hard to get them to stop being Chinese first and then a Christian. You know, the, this is the Chinese way. This is the way we do things here in China. We just have to do things this way. But if that way is contrary to the biblical way, you have to say, well, wait, it's not the Chinese way anymore. And, and we do the same thing in America. Sometimes this is the American way. We have to see ourselves as the kingdom people first. That's esteeming. And that's how I believe David saw it. Was he perfect at it? No. And at times he wasn't esteeming things. But the general gist of his life was esteeming God first. And so this isn't saying you have to be perfect and always have that first. We are human and we have natural uh, reactions and we have our moments. But as a general way of our life, can we say that we are after God's own heart? Can we say that he's first? And I know I don't always hit it, but at least I've got that I'm trying. And it's not like I'm, I'm trying to earn something with him. Again, the Christian faith is not about earning points. Going after God's heart is not about earning points. It's not about I ought to. It's about I want to. I want to. I mean, this, I want to win his heart. And I want to, I want to be more in line with him. And so we're going to talk about this the next few weeks. The last thing I want to mention, though, is how do you get your heart to a place where I want to? Because... We know that there are many struggles with the heart. And the Bible says the heart is deceptive and wicked. Who can know it? But we're going to talk about the heart the next few weeks, how you can prepare it, how you can work with it, how you can keep it so that you're in a position where it's warming up, softening up to the love of God. But the last thing I want to talk about with David is he had communion with God. Communion. What's communion? When we drink the the juice and eat the bread that's communion yeah but communion is the old word that they used to use about fellowship and being close and intimate with the lord in a daily walk kind of thing common union again goes back to being on the same page are we on the same page are we in a common union with the lord and david showed that he was in in several instances he was constantly after god's heart he did the will of god he obeyed according to the word, but he showed that God's heart, uh, his heart for the word was, was in Psalm 119. The longest psalm in the Bible is an ode to God's word and saying how I love it. How It's not just about, I got to keep it, I got to do it. It's oh, how I love it, and your word is life, and your word's a lamp unto my feet. 
all of this, and you want to discover what is God's will, you look at the word. But what is God's heart? If you want to be after what God's heart is, look at the word, because God's heart is in the word. And when you get a taste of his heart for you, it softens your heart for him. But you got to be in that communion. And the last thing I want to mention is that David had this communion so much that he was in a fix in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. It was probably the greatest moment of depression, sorrow, failure that anyone could probably experience. If you want to go back and read that. But they were under attack in 1 Samuel 30 from the Amalekites. The Amalekites had burned down the city. They had taken the wives and children of David and his armies. And his armies were discouraged and they were talking about threatening David and stoning him. And it was all, perhaps, it could have been David's fault because he initiated some attack earlier on the Amalekites. And, and this was just an awful thing where everyone was probably pointing the finger at him saying, you did it, you blew it, you messed up. And his loved ones are gone, taken captive. How much lower could you get? And everybody's angry with you. I'm starting to feel better about my problems right now. I'm thinking, you know, think about it. This was a terrible thing, and, and what's my problem? I got some problems, you've got some problems, but I don't see how it could get much worse than that. Um, that's 1 Samuel 30, if you want to look at it. But verse 6, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David could have fallen apart, could have cracked up, could have broken up, but with common union with God, with fellowship with God, he encouraged himself in the Lord. How? How could he encourage himself in the Lord? The only way he could have done that is, was by going back to the promises, by going back to the covenant, by going back to the word and the law he knew so well and he loved so well. And he chose to let those things keep him afloat rather than the words that others were speaking against him and what the situation was speaking against him, the circumstances. He stood on the Lord's word and the calling he had and the Lord's future that had been presented to him. And he encouraged himself. It kept him together. And that's the only way he could have stayed together. And I believe that's the only way we can stay. Oh, it's just a crutch. No, it's life. It is the life-giving word. It is the life-giving heart of God that we have life. Jesus came that we might have life. He loved us so much. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want us to be just legalistic, religious people. He wants us to be excited. We're in a relationship with God. We're winning his heart, and we're letting him win ours. That's the power of the church, if we can get to that place. And you start by these things. You respond properly. You obey. You have faith. You do, you do, you do his will according to faith. You esteem him in every issue. He's the one that's important first. It's not me. It's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. It's not what I think. It's what God thinks. Esteeming him. And it's having communion with him. David was lost in worship. He was dancing undignified in worship because he wasn't caring what anybody was thinking. He was only looking to God. Just like when he sinned, he said, I've only looked, I've only hurt you, Lord. It doesn't mean he just abandoned people and didn't ask for forgiveness and stuff like that. I don't think that's the point of that. The point is, it's just me and you, me and you. And that's a heart after God. So I want to encourage you and I ask you to encourage me to be on this track because this is the life. This is eternal life, knowing Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
this, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And we'll talk in the next couple of weeks more about getting your heart in a position where you can give and receive from the Lord. So uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you uh, love us so much. You love us in our flaws and our failures, and that all you want is our heart. And uh, out of that flow the issues of life. We just give our hearts to you now, Lord, to the best capacity that we can. I, I ask that you would touch each life here, and my own included, that you would help us yield more of our hearts to you, that we may glorify you, that we may be able to show that there is a God over us in this land as well as Israel, and that you may be proven good and, and uh, holy and just and righteous and wonderful before others. Lord, increase the testimonies in our lives. Help us to draw nearer to you and to bless you even as you bless us. And I pray that for this congregation and for all listening in Jesus' name. Amen.